0: and now sons and daughters of Almighty God. We get to call God Abba, Daddy, Father. What an awesome privilege. Our identity has changed. We've just been seeing it. I am a child of God. That is the power of the gospel, amen? And that's just what I wanted to encourage you uh, with a little bit tonight. Just uh, uh, just to, I know... um, We're aware of this concept, but I just want to encourage you again tonight of this powerful truth that that through the blood of Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family. Our identity has changed. We are now sons and daughters of God. We get to call Him Father. Isn't that wonderful news tonight? So when Jesus is baptized, the Bible says that the heavens are open and a voice, God Himself speaks over Jesus with these words, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Who thinks that that is a powerful word to be spoken over your life? I want to encourage you tonight that heaven is open over your life tonight. And I believe that tonight, God would come to every person here tonight That God is visiting every row, every seat, every person that is in this sanctuary tonight. And I believe that God has got a word for you. And the word from heaven over your life tonight is this You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now you, you might think, well, well, that wasn't for me, that was God speaking about Jesus. But we've just read in Galatians that we have received what? The not just sonship, but the full rights of sons. So it's not that God, God doesn't have f- favorite sons and lesser favorite sons. Every person here, you, we have received the Full rights of sons. So as surely as God spoke over his firstborn at the waters of baptism, now God is speaking over all his children. And he's saying, you are my children whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Who thinks that that is an incredible word? An incredible word to be spoken of your life. You know, sometimes people go to churches, particularly, you know, Pentecostal, charismatic churches, and they want the preacher to give them a word. I've been in a conference in Louisville the past couple of days. There was a powerful prophet there. He, was, he knew people's names. He knew people's birthdays. It was incredible. And, and people go to those meetings because they want a, you know, a prophetic word. or You know, I, I want to tell you tonight, the greatest word... You will ever hear spoken of your life is when God says over you, "You are my son, you are loved with you. I am well pleased. there is no greater prophecy than that. I could if you know i couldn't but if God gave me the grace, I could tell you your name, your address, your bank details, I could tell you what you 're going to do tomorrow, all kinds of stuff, but that would be that would be shallow end. Prophecy, the greatest word, the greatest thing that we can hear is when God speaks over us. Not through a preacher, not just through a a scripture, not just as a theology, but when you hear and you know in your spirit, God's speaking over you. You're my son. You're my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I think that's remarkable because... At this point in Jesus' life, how many sermons had he preached? Zero. That we know of. How many healings? None. He'd not raised anyone from the dead. He'd not cast out a demon. He had done nothing. And yet God says over him, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. You see, that this kind of This kind of flips the world, and and God, uh, you know, this kind of flips the order of things. Because for us, someone does something good, and we say, well done. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. But God, before we do anything, before we do anything that's pleasing, he says, I'm pleased with you. Before we do anything that's lovable, he says, I love you. Before we do anything that's worthy, he says, I'm proud of you. It was These words were not spoken at the end of Jesus' ministry as a pat on the back for everything he'd done. Instead, they were spoken at the beginning of his ministry to propel him into everything God had got for him. I'll tell you, the greatest foundation we need in life is to hear God say over us, you're my kids. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud with you. Who knows when God speaks, it changes our identity. I was in our home church a few months ago, and during the praise and worship, there was a young girl. She was probably, I don't know, in her teens, and... Um, And and God just kind of dropped a word into my heart. And so when I got up to preach, I asked her to stand. And I said, I see the word success written over your head. And I said, I believe it's to do with your education. God is going to give you success. And that was it. Didn't think anything more of it. And a few uh, weeks later, several weeks later, I got a message from her mother. She said, you don't know my daughter, but she has severe dyslexia and all kinds of learning problems. And and she's always kind of the bottom of the class at everything. But you spoke that word over her life a few weeks ago. Success in education. Or rather, God spoke it over her life. She said, last night we went to the parents evening. And all the areas that she was failing in, she's now getting a distinction in. That's the power of when God speaks. That's a power of hearing God's voice when he comes and he says, you are my children whom I love. We're in Psalm 2, you don't need to turn there, but this is a really interesting verse in Psalm 2 where God says, you can look this up when you get home, but God says, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Think about that for a moment. You are my son. Today, I have become your father. Now, I I was meditating on that a a few months ago, and and there's two things happening in, in that one sentence. We okay to get into the Bible tonight, it's Bible study night, right? You are my son. That that's a God says that as a fact. That's a truth, right? A truth statement. You are my son. But then he says, Today I have become your father. Do you know it's possible? For you to be his son. But he hasn't become your father. Hello? And I was thinking about that with my own sons. I've got two sons. And I was thinking about the moment when they were born. And just a few moments after they were born. They were placed in my arms. And when I looked at them, I said in my heart immediately, you're my son. And anyone who's got children, you can say the same thing, right? You didn't kind of think, well, I'll wait to see what they'll turn out like. You know, I'll see You know, whether they're going to be good or not. No, the moment they were born, that's my son. That's who they were to me, but who was I to them? Well, no one. They don't even understand the concept of people, right? You know, they, they, I'm just kind of a thing that's holding them. They can't differentiate, but they don't understand what a you know a person is. And even those first kind of few weeks, you know. They, as they start to understand the concept of people I guess they kind of figure out that I'm around a lot but you know what? what's the difference between me and, you know, you know, and all the other people they meet but then there comes that moment when they realize that's my father that man is different to every other person on the planet I have a relationship with him that no one else has They were always my sons, but there came a day when I became their father. And you know what? It's exactly the same with us and God. You've always been his son, but how know that many people in the body of Christ, they've not yet had that experience where he has become their father. They're still living as slaves. They're still living as orphans. They're still living unsure of of who God really is. They may know him as their saviour. They may know him as their lord. They may know him as the king of kings. They may know him as as God, as Yahweh, as Jehovah. But there has to come that moment when we say, that's my daddy. There has to come that moment when we recognise that's my Father. That, that's who He is. And I'll tell you, the moment you realize that, how liberating it is. You suddenly realize, I am so free. I am so secure. Jesus, He said, no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. That's security. He's not going to boot you out the door He's not going to slap you around the face, although sometimes he might give you a gentle, you know, a gentle one. But, but you are secure as his son, his daughter. That's wonderful, isn't it? I, I can remember, I could take you to the place in England. I was, you know, I was in ministry. I was a, a preacher. I was a, a, a minister. I've been a Christian for, you know, since I was four years of age. But, you know, spent many years wondering, does God really love me? Is God really pleased with me? You know, always trying to, you know, try and worry what people thought about me and trying to impress people and, you know, trying to be the best I could be. And I could take you to the exact place. I wasn't doing anything spiritual. I was just driving in the car. And I came to a certain place and suddenly it just hit me. I'm his son. I'm his son. And that moment, the security and the joy, all the insecurity, all the comparison, all the low self-esteem, all the wondering if I'm good enough or worthy enough, all of that just fell apart. And I knew I'm his son. And nothing will ever, ever change that. I want to pray that tonight, every person here, you would have that revelation. And if you've already had it, you get it afresh tonight. You might have had that revelation 50, 60 years ago, but you can hear God speak over you afresh tonight. You're my son. You're my son. Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And you know this, you can all quote it off by heart. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. And the first two words that he said, changed prayer forever. Changed how humanity approached God forever. He said, this then is how you should pray. When you pray, pray like this our Father. And you know, you you, you, you well-taught church, use the word Abba, what Jewish children, it's like papi, daddy, dada. It's what a little toddler would use. Jesus said, that's how you approach God. You don't come as a beggar. You don't come as a slave. You don't come To make a speech to him, you come like a little boy or a little girl approaches their father. Our father. Now, you know that Jesus got into a lot of trouble because he always called God his father. That was enough to get him crucified in itself, going around calling God his father. But I want you to think about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. But I've got a brother um, called Matthew. I think he's been here before. And uh, our parents are still alive as far as I know back in England. They were when I left. And if I were to call Matthew up and say to him, how is your father doing? Who thinks that would be a pretty strange thing to say? I would never say that, right? What would I say? How is our father or our dad doing? Because we've got the same relationship, the same father, the same access, the same blood, the same DNA. Now we already know that Jesus called God his father, so he could have said, this is how you pray. You pray to my father. But he didn't. He said, you pray to our Father. In other words, my blood is going to mean that you have equal access to God as I do. You have the same relationship to God as I do. I'm the firstborn, but I'm your older brother. We've got the same Father. As Jesus comes into God's presence, we can come into God's presence. As Jesus is heard, we are heard. As Jesus is welcomed, we are welcomed. As Jesus is accepted, we are accepted. This is the power, the wonder of the gospel that we don't just pray to his Father, but we pray to our Father. Hallelujah, glory to God. When I approach him, I approach him as a son. Glory to God. I've uh, I've been staying. Some of you may know, uh, Pastor Clady at uh, Keith at Heritage Fellowship in Florence, and I've been staying at the church down there over the past week. And um, I don't have a, a car or anything while I'm over here, so I'm relying on people kind of. You know, driving me around places and people have been very good and generous with that. But I think it was Monday night. Um, I'd just been there all, all day by myself and no one had kind of been in the office or anything. And I kind of started to get a little bit hungry. But I thought, what, what do I do? I'm here in America. I don't have a car, you know. Um, well, praise God, on, if you've got a smartphone, you can get this app, Uber Eats. Anyone ever used that before? So I went on there and I I find myself a Five Guys. And I ordered myself a cheeseburger and some fries and a a Coke. And I put in Heritage Fellowship. And 30 minutes later, there was a knock at the door. And this guy there with a bag of food and praise God. You know, I think Elijah, he would not have needed the ra- ravens if he'd have just got an iPhone, right? I think Elijah, he was the first person to get Uber Eats. Well, I went to sleep, and when I woke up, I looked at my phone and I got all these missed calls from my wife. So I, I called her, I said, What's going on? She said, the bank of just called me they've frozen our accounts she said there's been some suspicious activity on our account she said we we've been the victim of 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 of, of, of a, an identity thief so i said oh no that's that's terrible well you know let's believe it's going to get sorted I, she said yes yeah, someone is has been ordering cheeseburger and fries on our account. I said, well, let's pray that God will expose them. But the banks are so scared of identity theft that any kind of suspicious activity, they'll just put a, a block on your account. And they say it's, it's kind of a modern phenomenon, but really it's not. Because Satan was the original identity thief. He came in the Garden of Eden. And he said, if you eat from the tree, you'll be like God. Well, Adam and Eve were created to be like God. So he was trying to question their identity. And and isn't it fascinating that in Matthew we read Jesus has this encounter. God speaks over him. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And he goes into the wilderness and Satan turns up. And what's the first thing that Satan says? If you are the son of God. Prove it. If you are the son of God. Give me some some evidence. What was he trying to get Jesus to do? Question his identity. He was trying to get Jesus to put his identity in his performance. If you can just perform a miracle, then we'll all know that you're a son of God. That's exactly how Satan works with me and you. We sing these songs, I am a child of God, and we say amen. A preacher comes in from England and says, We're all children of God, and, and praise God, amen. And then Satan whispers in your ear, Well, if you are a son of God, prove it. Where's the evidence? Because he's the accuser, right? Well, let's look, at, let's look at your prayer life. It's a bit inconsistent, isn't it? Are you sure you're a child of God? Well, how much of the Bible have you read this week? Oh, I, I saw you falling asleep when you were trying to read Leviticus last night. Oh, if you're a child of God, let's, let's look at your holiness. Oh, I saw you when you, you know, muttered that under your breath when someone cut you up at the, when you were driving. I saw that thought you had. I saw that attitude you had. Come on, where's the evidence if you're a child of God? Prove it. How many souls have you won this week? Oh, you mean you've not even told one person about you? Are you sure you're a child of God? But Jesus refused to play Satan's games. What did he say? It is written. In other words, I'm not a child of God because of anything I do. I'm a child of God because the Word says I'm a child of God. I love to pray, but I'm not a child of God because I pray. I want to live holy, but I'm not a child of God because I live holy. I'm not a child of God because of how much the Bible I read or what I do in ministry. I'm a child of God because it is written. That's what he has spoken over my life. It says in, in John 1, to all those who believed in his name, To all those who received him. Everyone say received him. He gave the rights to become children of God. I want you to notice the order in that verse very carefully. To all those who received him. He gave the rights to become children of God. In the kingdom receiving Always precedes becoming. You see, religion says if you become, then you can receive. If you become a man, a woman, a prayer, then you can receive God's blessing. If you become some Holy, pious, righteous, perfect Christian, then you can receive all that God has for you. If you become some powerful, anointed person, then you can receive a ministry. But that's not the gospel. The gospel never begins with you becoming, it begins with you receiving. And when you just receive the truth of who he says you are, there is the power in the receiving to enable you to become who he wants you to be. So when I just receive the truth, I'm loved. I'm his child. I'm chosen. I'm blessed. I'm free. When I just receive that truth, then that truth then gives me the power to become what I've just received. Some of us, we just need to stop arguing with God about who He says we are. Some of us need to stop trying and start trusting just trust who knows that children have no problem receiving I'll tell you my two year old he already knows where the the candy is he knows where the refrigerator is he he knows how to receive because he's the son of the house God's. how do you know that you're a son? That you're living as a son? Because you know how to receive. Tell you, one of the hardest things in ministry is not getting people to an altar. It's getting people to receive. If I were to, do, if I were to say, come up to the altar tonight if you want to be healed, blessed, Delivered. Everyone had come out, hopefully. But then people come and then in their heads, there's this blockage. Why they can't receive. All the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and I'm not as good and I don't have enough faith and all this kind of nonsense. Instead of just... Just Receive. I was thinking a couple of days ago, you know the story of Jacob. And how Jacob tried everything he could to get the blessing. He stole the blessing. He cheated for the blessing. He wrestled for the blessing. He tried everything he could to get blessed. And I was wondering about that and God spoke to me. I was preaching out somewhere um, Sunday night and I was just in their prayer room before the service and God said, do you know why Jacob tried so hard to get blessed? I said, no. And God spoke to me, he said, because he never knew the love of a father. So I thought, let me go check that in the Bible, just make sure the Holy Spirit knows the Scriptures. (laughs) And sure enough, it says that Isaac loved Esau, But Rebecca loved Jacob. Jacob was brought up and he never knew the love of his dad. And when you don't know that your father loves you, you're going to wrestle, you're going to strive, you're going to do everything you can to get the blessing. But when we know that we have a father that loves us, I don't need to stress. I don't need to strive. I don't need to wrestle. All I need to do is receive. Amen? Let me just uh, read you a couple more scriptures. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That verse talks about two spirits. The spirit of fear and the Holy Spirit. And it says that both of those spirits produce an identity. The spirit of fear produces slaves. The Holy Spirit produces sons. Whichever spirit is the dominating spirit or the dominating presence in your life, that shapes your identity. So if fear is the dominant presence in your life, you'll live as a slave. But if the Holy Spirit is the dominating presence or spirit in your life, guess what? You'll be a son. But, You can't be both. Have you got dual citizenship, Catherine? Yeah or no? No, does Jeremy? He has. People can do that, right? But you know what? There, there, there isn't dual citizenship in heaven. You're either a slave or you're a son. So which are we? But the infilling of the Holy Ghost acts like kryptonite to Superman to fear and bondage and slavery. So whatever you're a slave to, the answer is always... Some people are a slave to their past. Some people are a slave to trauma. Some people are a slave to other people's opinions. But the Holy Ghost, he comes like kryptonite. He breaks off of you all the yoke, all the bondage, all the slavery. And you begin to walk in that identity as a son, as a daughter. Let me just tell you, uh, um, I, I had a, a, a weird experience a few months ago. There's a, there's a park near where I live. And I was there with my two children. And um, I had no idea, but this park has a speaker system that broadcasts messages over the park. I didn't realize that, but I realized it that day because it was about 4 p.m. And suddenly, a man began to speak over the system. And he said, "Uh, this park is going to close in one hour. And everyone needs to have left the park in one hour, or else you'll be locked in overnight. Well, I just began to observe the response of the people around me. Do you know how all the kids responded to that voice? They did not pay one bit of notice. Do you know how all the parents responded? It was like panic stations. I mean, the entrance, the entrance to the park was only over there. We got an hour, but everybody's so scared that they're packing all the b- bags and toys. Come on, let's go. Well, about 15 minutes later, the weirdest thing happened. The speaker system crackled, and I realized another message is coming over. And I thought, it's going to be the guy again reminding us. But instead, it was a little girl she sounded about 9 years old and she laughed and then there was this other girl's voice about the same age laughing and one of the little girls said i've got a knife and i'm going to kill you all you're all going to die well i get i looked and the response of the adults was Just ignore them. That's just kids just being stupid. But do you know what the response of the kids was? Ah! Panic! And, um, you know, I just said to my boys, oh, some girls are just, you know, they're just acting crazy. Let's, you know, they don't have a knife. They only sounded about nine years old. They're not going to kill anyone. I, I don't know if they'd held this guy hostage or what, but... And I I was walking out of the park and I thought that was an imposter. That was a hijacker. And God just spoke to me and said many of my people have allowed an imposter to hijack the speaker system of their lives. You see... The child couldn't differentiate which was the voice of truth and who was an imposter. But those of us who were a little bit older, we knew one voice is an imposter. We ignore that voice. But the other, that's a voice of truth. I respond to that voice. And when Satan comes and whispers in our ears... And says you're no good. You're unworthy. You're a mistake. You're a failure. You're a terrible Christian. Everyone else in this church is so spiritual apart from you. I wonder many times we think that that's truth. And we allow those words to shape our identity and our behavior. And we come in so full of guilt and shame and condemnation. And we need to realize that's an imposter. That's a hijack. That's not truth. I don't respond to that. I don't, I don't listen to that. The the voice of truth is the voice of God's word. The voice of truth is the Holy Ghost. The voice of truth is who He says I am. I am not my past. Anyone else glad about that? I'm not my past. I'm not my behavior. I'm not my circumstances. I'm not my health. I'm not my bank account. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who I think I am. I am who he says I am. I'm his child. I'm free. I'm righteous. I'm blessed. I'm holy. I'm secure. I'm his. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By His stripes, I'm healed. I have joy. I have peace. I, I'm chosen. I'm anointed. That's who He says I am, and I refuse to believe the lies of the imposter. Amen. Let me tell you um, one more, one more story. I don't know, is, is Jeremy around or has he just stepped out for a moment? Okay. Huh. <laughs> um my, uh, my oldest son, um, Judah, he's uh, five years old now. Um, but when he was three, um, I took him to the zoo for the day. He loves animals and so we... You know, we spent a day looking at at all the animals, and uh, as we were leaving the zoo, there was a park with um, like a play area for children, and he said, Daddy, I want to go and play. So I said, sure, you you go and play, I'm going to sit right here, and I sat, and I was about as close as I am to the front row here, and he's off playing, you know, on the swings and slides, and All that kind of stuff. and After about 15 minutes, he walked out. But I realized that he had forgotten where I was sat. And he'd got his back to me. And he began to say, Daddy, Daddy. Well, the moment he said that, I stood up and just walked towards him. And it was just only a few few feet away. A few meters away. um, But he panicked. And he began to grab all the other parents. And he was saying, I've lost my daddy. And then he let out this shout. He said, Daddy, where are you? And I just tapped him on the shoulder. And I just said, I'm right here. And he turned around and fell in my arms and started sobbing. He wouldn't let me go. Well, a couple of weeks later we were we were in the car he said daddy can you remember when we went to the zoo i said yeah and he said and you lost me i thought who is who is this kid well a few weeks after that we were in the car again and this time my wife was there and they were taking me to the airport. I think I was coming here to America. And my wife said, oh, uh, Judah, when, when Daddy's in America, I'm going to take you to the zoo. Well, I knew what he was going to say. He said, he said, Daddy took me to the zoo, and he lost me. So I, I thought, I'm going to, you know, kill this right now. I said, Judah... I did not lose you. You lost me. The truth was, I didn't take my eyes off of him for a second. Truth is, I was always there. I was just a a decision away to turn around. And the moment he turned around, there I was. He was ready to fall into my arms. And I wonder if there's anyone here tonight and you feel like you've lost God. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight and maybe it's been a long time since you felt the presence of God. Maybe it's been a long time since you heard the voice of God. Maybe it's been a long time since you really felt the security of his love. And maybe you've wondered, have I lost him? Where is he? I want you to know tonight that he has not taken his eyes off of you for a second. He has never left. He's always been there. He always will be there. And tonight I feel God just wanting to tap someone on the shoulder saying, Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Says that when the prodigal came to his senses, he turned around and fell into his father's arms. And he hugged him. And he kissed him. And he didn't stop kissing him. He hugged the shame out of him. He hugged the insecurity out of him. He hugged the lies out of him. That is exactly what God wants to do for every one of us tonight. Why don't you just close your eyes right now where you are. I want to read to you these words from Luke 15, but I want to read them out of the a new translation, it's called the Passion Translation. It says, so the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love then the son said father I was wrong I've sinned against you I could never deserve to be called your son just let me be the father interrupted and said son you're home now you're home now where was it? they've not got to the house yet He was in his embrace. Your home is in his arms.